So we're going to read God's word this morning. We're Exodus chapter 32, verses 21 through 35. Reading in 21. Then Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself that they are prone to evil. For they said to me, Make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Now when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control, to be a derision among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. He said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, For every man has been against his son and against his brother in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. On the next day, Moses said to the people, You yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will, forgive their sin, and if not, Please blot me out from your book, which you have written. The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But go now, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. Dear God, thank you so much for this Sunday morning that you have gathered together your church, your people here in this place. Please bless them, every single one, and especially those who are home and watching who could not make it. I ask that they would too feel the assembly, that they would still feel that they are part of this church. Give them the grace and the ability to be back here with us. And help us all love you with all that we are. Bless our brother Paul in the preaching of your word. Give him the grace to speak the power and truth of your love. That we may love and fear you for who you truly are. Revere you for the lovely God that we are so undeserving of. And not because of what we have done do we deserve what you love and you have given to us, but because you have said it and you have done it. It is not something that we can earn, but something that you have freely given to us. And for that, we praise and thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated.
Good morning, Grace Gospel Church. I don't know about you, but I'm excited after that musical worship. Uh, that, that was glorious. That was wonderful. I, I believe as we sang, the Lord was enthroned on our praises. Our goal now is to raise him up and enthrone him through the preaching of his word. You may have noticed from the verses that our brother Joe read that the passage was once again about idolatry. This is the aftermath of the making of the golden calf and the worship of the golden calf by the people of Israel. We saw last week, and I'd like to repeat again today since we're still on the subject of idolatry, that it was not even six weeks later after the people had multiple times said, all that the Lord says we will do. Three times they said that, and once they doubled down, we will do and we will obey. They bound themselves to this covenant through their oath, repeated three times that they would do whatever the Lord says, yet not six weeks later, they break that covenant by violating the first two of the Ten Commandments that the Lord gave. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto thyself an idol, a graven image. You shall not bow down to them, nor worship them, or serve them. All the other commandments grow out of these. To break one of the other commandments is to first break one of these. How does that work? God created every person to need a God in their life. Every person needs a God in their life. Every person needs to worship a God. Even the atheist has a God in his or her life. Every atheist even worships a God. In the case of the most sincere atheist, that God is themselves. They are a God unto themselves. They decide what is right and wrong for them. Everybody needs a God. The question is, who or what will that God be? Will it be the one true God, the living God of heaven and earth? Revealed in His Son, His only beloved Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Or will it be a God of their own making? A lot of people view things like money, power, prestige, uh, a job that is considered to be very prestigious, and many other things they consider to be a God. And there is a sense in which money or other things can be a God. But all these lesser gods serve one primary purpose, whether it be power, pride and prestige, money, it doesn't matter what it is, its primary purpose is to serve the chief God in a person's life, and that chief God is themselves. 
In order to break any of the other commandments, we set these aside, we enthrone not him on our praises, but we enthrone ourselves in the place of God. And then we use things to serve us. Now, as I mentioned last week, this passage does have a lot of application for the Christian. Even though we do not make an idol shaped like a golden calf or shaped like any other animal, and we don't bow down and we don't pray to it as Christians, as most even non-Christians in this country don't do that, we do create idols in our heart. Someone has well said, the heart of man is an idol factory. We manufacture and create idols, not only to worship, but also to serve us. Here's nine very common idols. This is not a complete list, but these are very common. Acceptance, acceptance by others. This appeals to our sinful pride. Our appearance, once again, pride is at the heart of this. We desire control to be the Lord of our life and be in control of everything. We don't like not being in control. Again, this is pride at work. Fairness, fairness and justice, that's a good thing. Good things, even scriptural, biblical things, can become idols in our life when we become consumed by them instead of by the just God. Justice should not be what we focus on, but the God of justice and fairness is what we should focus on. Materialism, the lust of the eyes, the desire to possess. Being a people pleaser, wanting people to like us, and so we seek to please them rather than God. Pride is at the heart of that again. Prosperity. Prosperity in all its forms, normally materialism, but it could be health, wealth, whatever makes us comfortable in life. Pursuing pleasure, the lusts of the flesh, and security. We all like security. From the time we're children, we like security. We do like boundaries because we know where we stand in relationship to those boundaries, but we want to be able to change them whenever we think we should, whenever we think it serves us. But security is another idol of the heart. All of these things people pursue. You and I as well, at times we pursue these. Some of these things can be good to a degree, in a sense, but they can become idols. How do we know if they're idols? They're idols if we will sin if we don't get what we want. We will sin in order to get it. If we feel, I absolutely need this. I can't survive without this. I need it. If it's a need, God will provide it in his time. Well, maybe it's not a need, but I want this. I really, really want this. 
if it consumes us to that degree, then we should consider it to be an idol of our heart. If we say, I must have this, I can't go on without it, it's a tip-off that whatever that object is, is an idol of our heart. And then I have a right to this. Look, we're slaves of Christ, the New Testament teaches us. A slave has no rights. His Lord and Master possesses all the rights of the slave. The only right you and I have is to be judged and condemned by God and cast away for all eternity for our sin. That's what we have a right to. We don't have a right to God's salvation. We don't have a right to God's blessings after salvation. It is all bestowed by grace, by God's grace. The title of today's message is The Consequences of Idolatry. And this is going to come out in multiple ways in this passage. Idolatry has consequences. What is this passage really about? The final verses of this passage reveal that consequences of idolatry are the focus. God's holiness that necessitates consequences for idolatry is the focus. The Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf. Here is the ultimate consequence of idolatry, being blotted out from God's book. In this passage, the Lord is revealed as being a holy God who will judge idolatry. That's what we see about the Lord in this. He cannot turn a blind eye to idolatry. There will be a penalty for idolatry. There will be consequences for idolatry. If you take one thing away today from this message, know this, that the Lord at some, will at some point judge idolatry in your life and mine. If we do not repent of that idolatry, confess it to the Lord, seek His forgiveness, there will be consequences, there will be judgment. Now, I'm not talking about loss of salvation. I don't believe the Scriptures teach that. But it can be loss of eternal reward. I believe it can also be chastisement from the Lord. The Scripture makes it very clear that He does chastise His children. We'll see from this passage that it could be loss of blessing in this life as a result of idolatry. This passage breaks down into three parts. We're going to consider it under these three headings. The effects of idolatry. Idolatry is not a victimless crime. It's not a victimless sin. It is an offense against a holy God, but it also victimizes ourselves and others who may follow our example. It is not victimless. It's not innocent. There are victims when it comes to idolatry. The choices that idolatry demands of you. Idolatry is not neutral. It is negative. And we're going to see that idolatry 
has some demands upon us and they're negative demands. And then the changes idolatry results in for you. Idolatry is not harmless. It does great harm to the person who engages in idolatry. It makes us a victim. It has negative effects in our life. And it causes great harm. So let's get right into this and look at the effects of idolatry upon each one of us. See what this passage brings out before our eyes as we see it unfold. We'll notice what is at work in each verse or group of verses, and then we'll apply it to us. The first thing is that idolatry makes us face tough questions about ourselves. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? He comes down, he sees Aaron, he's not disheveled, he's got no cuts and bruises, his garments aren't ripped, doesn't look like he's been pummeled, he's not quivering as if he, his life was threatened. What did this people do to you? You know, I remember when I was five years old, I still remember that day. It was bright, it was sunny, it was warm. I don't remember precisely what time of year, but I had short sleeve shirt on, shorts, and I was out playing with a bunch of neighborhood kids, and I come home crying. I mean, I'm in bad shape. I'm just crying, crying, nothing physically wrong, and my father happened to be in the kitchen. I open the door, I come in, and I'm crying, and he looks at me, and he says, what's the matter? And I said, they made fun of me. And he says to me, I still remember what he said. Look, he knew his son, okay? He knew I was a mama's boy. And, he, you know, he was a military lifer. He didn't want any wimpy son. So he says to me, and this was good parenting because he knew me. He said, where's the blood? Where's the blood? He repeated it several times with his arms. I remember this so clearly. Where's the blood? And then he told me that old saying, which so many in the world could remember today. People are distraught on social media when they don't get likes, when they don't get the thumbs up, or they get a negative reply to a tweet or a post. He said to me, remember, son, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Where was Aaron's blood? That's what Moses is saying to him. What did this people do to you? Where's the blood? That you have brought great sin upon them. This is a tough question. Hebrews puts it this way. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Idolatry comes so easy to us. Our heart manufactures these idols so easily. No one's holding a gun to our head. Manufacture an idol. Love this idol. Push Christ aside for this idol. We don't strive very hard against idolatry. Why? Because we use those idols to love ourselves, to serve ourselves. Jesus Christ said this 
in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, riches, any idol. You can only have one Lord and Master, one God that you're worshiping in your life. It's either the Lord Jesus Christ and his Father, or it's yourself. Only one. We don't strive very hard. May God be pleased to be gracious to us and help us to strive against idolatry to the point of shedding blood. Christ shed his blood, never gave in to sin, and was willing to shed his blood. May we be willing to follow in his footsteps if necessary. Our participation in idolatry affects others also. Then Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? Aaron was in a leadership position. Moses had left him in charge. If there was any dispute when he was up on the mountain, Aaron, you handle it. Anyone in any position of authority or leadership, whether it be in the local church, whether it be in the family, whether it be in a ministry, uh, whether it be in a marriage, whether it be in a job, it doesn't matter what the sphere of authority is. Participation in idolatry by that leadership person, that leader figure, will affect others. And here, Moses states this very clearly. What did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? He's not going to let them off the hook. The Lord isn't going to let them off the hook as we read in the verses this morning when our brother Joe was reading them for us. But Aaron had a hand in it. And Moses isn't going to let him off the hook. Idolatry tempts us to blame others for our sin. Aaron said, do not let your anger burn. You know the people yourself that they are prone to evil. Moses was angry here. You might think of this as righteous anger, but I'm not so sure because when he saw what had happened, remember last week, he tossed the stone tablets with the commandments on it and they shattered. As a result, he was going to have to carve out tablets God had carved out those tablets. God wrote on them. We're going to see in a couple weeks in Exodus 34 that the Lord will carve out. uh, Moses is going to have to carve out the tablets on his own, and God will write on those tablets. He was angry. He let his anger get control of him. He acted unwisely. He shattered those tablets even if his intention was to symbolize that the people of Israel have shattered God's covenant through their idolatry, even if that was his intent, it was the wrong thing to do. We know it because there were consequences of his anger. Moses had a problem with anger throughout a large portion of his life. In anger, he's going to disobey God later on and strike the rock again bringing even a greater consequence upon himself than having to carve out tablets. He would never enter the promised land. Aaron was right. Do not let your anger burn. 
You know the people yourself that they are prone to evil. He blames them for the idol that he made. He blames them. We're so good at blaming others. This is exactly what happened in the garden in Genesis 3 during the fall. The woman blames the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. That happened to be true, but it didn't let her off the hook. Adam then says, the woman that you gave me. He gets even worse. He doubles down. He blames God. He blames the woman, his wife, Eve. She gave it to me and I ate, but he blames God. You gave me this woman. What kind of woman did you give me? We love to blame others. Know this, whenever we blame others, we are exposing idolatry of heart. It's a tip-off. The next time you or I blame someone else for something that we did, even partially blame, well, I never would have gotten angry if you didn't do this. God is exposing an idol of our heart. We're thinking too highly of ourselves that I never would have done this. I'm so good if it wasn't for you. No, we're exposing an idolatry of ourself. Sinful pride is at work there. Idolatry tempts us to become involved in the idolatry of others. Aaron says, for they said to me, make a God for us. We do not know what has become of Moses. Here, the people are concerned that Moses has been gone for 40 days, not even six weeks yet. And so they go to Aaron to involve Aaron in the idolatry. Others will tempt us to become involved in idolatry. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good morals. There's a reason why your mother and father told you not to hang around with that person. It's biblical. Bad company corrupts good morals. Here we see that even a man like Aaron, who was supposed to be their spiritual leader, he got involved in idolatry. None of us are above getting involved in idolatry. In, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, Paul writes, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In Proverbs 16, verse 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction, and a proud spirit, a haughty spirit, before a fall. None of us is immune from idolatry. I'd like to suggest that if any of us think we're immune from any form of idolatry, that exposes idolatry of self, sinful pride. I'm too good to ever fall like that. If not for the grace of God, there go I. Idolatry tempts us to lie to cover up our idolatrous sin. Aaron says to Moses, I said to the people, I said to them, whoever has any gold, remember the gold earrings, the blessing from God that they got from the, one of the blessings from the Egyptians? 
Whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the, into the fire, and out came this calf. I just started tossing in gold. And wow, a miracle. A calf jumps out. This isn't even a good lie. When I read this, there's words that came back to me, words that I heard from my mother and my grandmother. Every Jewish kid hears these words growing up when they tell a whopper. I was always doing something wrong, always pushing the boundaries, the limits. You know, and I, one day I'm bounce, I was told not to bounce the ball near the house. And what did I do? I bounced the ball near the house, and it went through the basement window. So, what am I going to do now? I think of a good lie. Well, Mom, I wasn't bouncing the ball. I was holding it in my hands, and this big wind came up, blew it out of my hands, and through the window. And my mother says this to me. The, the words that come to mind when I read this in Scripture, I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. My mother says to me, do your ears hear what your mouth is saying? <laughs> you know, it sounded believable to me. You know, eight years old, that, that's a great story. The wind, of course. But not to my mother. Look, there's no lie we can tell God that's believable to him. You know, those words, do your ears hear what your mouth is saying, they come from some Jewish rabbinical writings known as the Midrash in a commentary on the life of Abraham. Abraham's father, Terah, supposedly had an idol shop. And he made idols and sold idols for people to worship. But the one true living God calls Abraham and tells him to leave. Ur the Chaldees to a place that I'll show you. The story goes in the Midrash, his father doesn't want to leave. What Abraham does is he goes into the idol shop and there's a big idol on a pedestal with an axe, a two-handed axe. He slides it out of the idol's hands and he smashes all the other idols. And then he puts the axe back in. Later on, his father comes in, sees all the idols smashed. What happened? I mean, this is his livelihood. This is how he makes money selling these idols. And Abraham says, I know, Father. See that big idol on the pedestal with the axe? Yes, son. It stepped down from the pedestal, and it smashed all the other idols and then went back on. And Terah says to his son, Abraham, son, it's an idol. It's not alive. It can't do anything. And Abraham says to his father, do your ears hear what your mouth is saying? This is laughable. I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. See, idolatry is believable to you and I when we manufacture it. Oh, we convince ourselves this is good. This is a good thing. This is good for me. We might even say, oh, I can use this to serve the Lord in some way. I just got to have it. 
I must do anything to get it. And then I can use it for the Lord. See, do our ears hear what our mouth is saying? Does our mind understand what our heart is drawing us to? Idolatry tempts us to lie to ourselves and to God to cover up our idolatrous sin. Those are the effects idolatry has upon you. It's not victimless. You and I are the victims every time we create idols in our heart. Now let's look at the choices idolatry demands of each one of us. It's not neutral. It's going to be negative for the most part. The first thing to understand is the choice is yours and mine as to whether or not you will allow, you will exercise control over idolatry or if you will allow idolatry to control you. Aaron had let them. There's responsibility attached to Aaron. Aaron had let them get out of control. The people got out of control. They have the responsibility for that, and it became a bad testimony. They became a derision, a laughing stock to their enemies. If their God is so good and great, why are they worshiping calves of gold? They're no different than we are. The choice is yours as to whether or not you will let idolatry get out of control in your life or if you and I will exercise control over idolatry. Idolatry forces you to make a choice between the Lord and the idol. It is always a choice. The choice is there. It's never a foregone conclusion that idolatry is the only way. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. Idolatry forces us to make a choice every time. And the choice is always between the idol and the Lord. Remember that. Any choice for the idol is a rejection of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. It's a rejection of God and Christ as the God of your life and the substitution of the idol and yourself as the most important thing in your life. No one is excluded from the choice idolatry forces you to make between the Lord and the idol. There's none of us that are excluded. Moses says, thus says the Lord. Four times, every man Every man of you, every man, his brother, and every man, his friend, and every man, his neighbor. Four times, the same every man. Those that Moses is speaking to, every man. There's no one that is excluded from the practice of idolatry, the temptation of idolatry, the choice that idolatry forces upon us to choose between the Lord and the idol of our heart. Faithfulness to the Lord versus idolatry is a serious choice. Idolatry is not to be taken lightly. Oh, it's not like I killed anybody. No, you may not have killed anybody, but you sinned against 
a holy God. How holy? What did Isaiah say in Isaiah chapter 6? In the, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of, the ro- of his robe filled the temple. And then he sees seraphim, winged, fiery, angelic creatures flying about with six wings, and they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. What is Isaiah's response to this holy vision of a thrice holy, a three-time holy God, a perfectly holy God? He says, woe is me, woe is me, oy vey, oy, woe. Woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. If we would perceive our God as the perfectly holy, holy, holy God, we would have the same response as Isaiah. Woe is me. Idolatry does not count God as holy, as anything special. He's no different than a golden calf. He's no different than money. I can worship either, whatever I choose. But idolatry is a serious choice. Moses says, the Lord said, put his sword upon, every man put his sword upon his thigh and kill Idolatry kills. Idolatry kills. It kills your spiritual desire. It kills your fellowship with the Lord. It kills your devotion to the Lord. It kills your service for Christ. Idolatry sounds a death knell in your spiritual life when you allow idolatry to live. It is a serious choice to choose between the idol and the Lord, to choose between yourself and the Lord God. Faithfulness to the Lord versus idolatry is indeed a serious choice. Idolatry forces you to choose your own death. Unrepentant idolatry, unconfessed and unrepentant idolatry, you choose your own death. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Fell doesn't mean they tripped. They were slain. Remember, put your sword on. They weren't getting a little love tap with the sword. Those 3,000 participated in idolatry. Others did too. Others repented and chose the Lord over the idol. Apparently about 3,000 men did not. They chose in choosing idolatry, in choosing not to repent of that idolatry, in choosing to not confess that idolatry and beseech the Lord for forgiveness, they chose their own death instead. Idolatry forces us to choose our own spiritual death, the death of our fellowship with our Heavenly Father, the death of spiritual life and vitality. 
Remember that. Idolatry is not your friend. It is your enemy. And the choice for an idol is the choice for a death. Idolatry forces you to make a choice to lose out on the Lord's blessing. Moses said, dedicate yourselves to the Lord. Dedicate to the Lord. Be devoted to the Lord. Dedicate yourselves today to the Lord. For what reason? That he may bestow a blessing upon you today. The day you dedicate is the day the blessing comes. The day you reject idolatry in your life and turn to the Lord as the one true God, serve him instead of unrighteous mammon or whatever that idol is, is the day the blessing comes. Choosing idolatry will always rob you of God's blessing. Let's look at the last heading. The changes that idolatry results in for you. Some very serious changes here. Idolatry results in sin. But as a result of that sin, idolatry results in conviction, guilt, and the need for confession. I put that there, those three, conviction, guilt, and the need for confession, to make it more concrete. Sin is sort of intangible. You know, what does a sin weigh? How big is a sin? You know, it's, it's abstract in some ways. But conviction, we've all been convicted of our sin. The Holy Spirit doesn't sleep on the job. Christ promised when the Spirit comes, He will convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. And the Holy Spirit never sleeps on the job. We've all been convicted. We all know when we've done something wrong. When we've rebelled against the Lord and chosen the sin of idolatry instead of remaining faithful to Him. Idolatry results in conviction, guilt. When we don't respond positively to the Holy Spirit's convicting ministry, guilt results. I like to put it this way. Conviction is a tool of the Holy Spirit to get us to repent. You know, it's like a hammer. A hammer, can I, there's different kinds of hammers. A carpenter can use a hammer to build something wonderful. But there's also a war hammer that can cave in someone's skull. Conviction is like the carpenter's hammer. Guilt is like the war hammer. Conviction is intended to build us up through repentance and convict, uh, confession. Guilt is a weapon of Satan, not a tool of the Holy Spirit. It's a weapon of Satan to beat us down. When we don't respond to the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit, guilt results. And every, all the baggage that can come with guilt, loss of joy, depression, discouragement. The, the solution is confession. On the next day, Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin. The first step is to recognize that idolatry is a great sin and then to respond properly to it with confession. Idolatry results in the need for forgiveness. God won't turn a blind eye to idolatry. Moses said, I am going up to the Lord. Moses said, this people 
have, has committed a great sin and they have made a God of gold for themselves. Forgive their sin. We may think lightly of idolatry, but God doesn't. Idolatry needs forgiveness. Idolatry are like nails that held our Lord to the cross. He died for the sins of idolatry of heart that each one of us has and have had in the past. There is the need for forgiveness for idolatry. It is serious. Christ died. You want to know how serious it is? He shed his life's blood and died for the sin of idolatry that you and I would commit. That's how serious idolatry is. It's one of the things that cost the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, his life. Unforgiven idolatry results in eternal condemnation. The Lord said, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. He didn't say, I'm going to give him a little smack on the bottom. He says, I will blot him out of my book. Idolatry is serious if it's unforgiven. If you're here this morning and you have never repented of your idolatry of self, if you have never changed your mind that you should not be the Lord of your life, but Jesus Christ should be the Lord of your life, that you are not the God of your life, but God the Father is the God of your life. If you've never done that, you have unforgiven idolatry. God has not forgiven your sins including your sin of idolatry. Jesus Christ became a man. God sent him. He became a man. He lived a perfect, sinless life, free of all idolatry. He said, I do always those things that please the Father. God spoke more than once from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, perfectly pleased. And then at the end of his life, he went to the cross, as the scriptures say, bearing the sins of the world in his body on the cross. He underwent God's wrath and judgment and cried out those words to his father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He cried them out so that you and I would never have to experience the wrath and judgment of a holy God and be judged by him and have our names blotted out from his book. He did that for the whole world. If you've never trusted in what Christ did on the cross, if instead you're trusting in your prayers, your giving, uh, your good deeds, the scripture says he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. It's not our deeds that save us, not our prayers. It's belief in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Not just intellectual belief, but a turning 
from our sin and turning to God and crying out to Him for salvation. If you've never done that, you have unforgiven idolatry that will result in eternal condemnation. The scripture is so clear in Hebrews 9. It's appointed once to man. It's appointed unto man to die once. And after this comes the judgment, not a second chance. There is no second chance. Paul writes in, in, to the Corinthians, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week. Today, right now, is the accepted time of salvation. If you've never trusted in Christ and what he did on the cross, if you're trusting in anything else, if you're even wondering, I hope God accepts me, then you've never trusted in Christ. The scripture tells us that when we do that, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. John, writing in his, in his first epistle in the last chapter, in chapter 5, he says this, after he tells them over and over again how they can know they are saved. What are the signs that you should look for in your life that you are saved? John writes, these things I have written to you who believe. Place your trust in the Son of God. Not in something else for salvation, but in Christ. These things I've written to you who believe in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Not in order that you may guess, in order that you may wonder, but you may know that you have eternal life. You can know it today. Just place your trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Repent of your sin, turn from it, turn to God, and trust in Christ. And he will forgive all your sins, including idolatry of heart. And he will not blot your name out of his book. The judgment of unforgiving, unforgiven idolatry will come one day. This is the Lord speaking here in verse 34. Nevertheless, the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Paul, in preaching to the Greek philosophers at the Areopagus, a school of, of philosophers on Mars Hill in Athens, he says this in Acts 17, verse 31. God is declaring to all men everywhere that they must repent. Why? Because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through the man whom he has appointed. And what man is that? Having furnished proof to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus Christ is going to sit in judgment on every person. And God has already fixed that day. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish. That day for those Jews who would not repent of their, of their sin with the golden calf. 3,000 died one day, and then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. More had died, it would seem. Their day of judgment for this idolatry in their life has already come. 
They'll still have a future day of judgment, as will everyone. A rendezvous with destiny that you and I cannot avoid. We will stand before Christ one day in judgment. And God will punish unforgiving idolatry. I, I urge you, I beseech you, if you've never trusted in him, place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There will be a day of judgment. It's in his mercy and his patience that he does not judge every sin when it happens, but he will judge one day. We've seen that idolatry has effects upon you. Idolatry makes demands upon you, and idolatry is going to result in changes in your spiritual life and your relationship with Jesus Christ, with the Lord God. So today, will you begin to confess to God the idolatry in your life? If you don't think you have any, ask God to open your eyes to the idolatry that may be in your life. And will you begin to recognize that every idol involves a choice for or against God? It's just not a choice for the idol. It's a choice against God. That's really what it's coming down to. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for your patience with us. How we thank you for your forbearance, your long-suffering. Oh, dear God, we confess to you that we are often so blind to the idolatry that exists in our life and that to our own shame. Oh, dear God, for your glory and your name's sake, would you be pleased to open our eyes to any idols that we have? Strengthen us by your spirit in the inner person that we will reject those idols, that we will turn from those idols, that we will flee from those idols, and we will come running to you. Oh, dear God, when we do that, embrace us, forgive us. Draw us close to yourself. Restore our fellowship with you. Bless us in the day that we repent of our idolatry. And dear God, we don't ask for these blessings just for ourselves. That would be just be idolatry of self all over again. But we ask for these blessings so that we in turn might be a good testimony to those around us and cease to be the laughing stock. So, dear God, bring yourself great honor and glory, we pray, as you help us and strengthen us against idolatry. We ask this for your glory and your namesake. Amen.